Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? How are we? Nothing much. I love it, except, you know, just worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. To one of the best worship songs of all time, So Will I, was just jumping today. Um, if you don't like that song, you should check your pulse and just figure out if you're alive. Um, anyways, what's up? It's good to be with you guys. Hope you had a good Easter last week. Uh, I know, man, it was awesome being in a full house and all y'all were dressed up, looking so beautiful and good. And you still look good, by the way, this morning, just in case you were wondering. But um, man, I know my heart was full walking away from last week. We had uh, just a lot of people in here, which was, is always fun. The energy was just palpable. Uh, God was moving. It was also just really, really awesome to see several people in both services raise their hands and to respond to the gospel, to say, I, I want to fall after Jesus. And even coming out of that, just so you know, we had several emails that came in uh, just on that Back to Life tab, which is, which is still there on our website. If you uh, maybe just intended to fill it out, intended to ask some questions and just didn't get around to it with the Easter festivities. Um, man, but we had several people reach out and just say, uh, hey, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus and I just don't know where to start. So that's a, that is an amazing thing worth celebrating, isn't it, church? Like whenever that happens in our building, we want to just, uh, just acknowledge that and just get very, very excited. Uh, maybe you're here and you're just kind of beginning and embarking on this journey following after Jesus. Uh, maybe you've been here all along. We're going to jump back into the Life on Mission series that we were in uh, all preceding Easter. And we're going to continue it today talking about the topic of hospitality. Um, but before we do that, I just want to kind of unpack where we've been, um, because I think it's important to continue to set up and establish kind of the roots of where this series goes from here. So we started uh, with Deuteronomy chapter six, which in Hebrew is known as the Shema, um, where, where really what we talked about, I, I use this Jenga analogy, right? Maybe, maybe that was awesome. Maybe that was a, a subpar analogy to use, but um, really just kind of built off. There's, there's these rings, these concentric rings, or really these levels that I argued that I think, that I think the, the power of God, the kingdom of God is going to move through. And it's important just to bring it back up today because the foundational level, if we're going to live a life on mission, if we're going to fulfill the great commission and see people become disciples of Christ, we have to start with, have to, have to start with a life that is set on his foundation of loving God with everything that we have. Loving, loving God with our, uh, with our will, with our emotions, with our desires, doing everything we can to keep ourselves close to that love. Um, th there's a lot of cool ways we could go from here, but if we don't start on that foundation, we're building all of our life on mission on, on what the Bible would say is just is shifting sand, like nothing that could actually hold when the storms of life come. No, we wanna, we wanna choose to build a life on mission on the solid rock of Christ, that our, our affection and our devotion, and our attention belongs to him. And that's where we begin with a life on mission. And from there, we can see that spill out into hopefully our families, hopefully into our neighborhoods, into, into the country that we live in and call home. Um, and hopefully even just like I said this last week, but Taylor, I thought just preached the socks off the sermon on, on um, uh, Palm Sunday when he talked about, man, we have to, if we're gonna sustain this life on mission, we have to have this scope and this, and this mindset of eternity. We have to have eternity on our mind as we just embark, realizing that every single person that we're ever gonna interact with ever is going to live forever. Everyone is going to live forever. Now there's a choice of whether you're gonna live in heaven or whether you're gonna live in hell forever. And that reality alone should drive us to continue living in a life on mission, knowing that that is always true and it's not changing. 
And so we, we, we persist with this kind of urgency to go, no, this matters. We got to see people come to know Christ and praise God. Some people went from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light last weekend. How awesome is that? And so welcome. If that's you, if that's not you yet and you're hanging out, I just, I would beg you to just consider to soak and take it all in. And, and hopefully one day you will be able to say, God, I am yours. I want to follow you. Uh, but today I really want to talk uh, from the topic of hospitality. And so if you would, would you open your Bible up to 1 Peter chapter 4? Um, 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to dive in. It's going to be in verse 7. I'd love if you had it open in front of you just so we can kind of uh, holler back to it as we go throughout the message here. But this idea of hospitality, it's laced into your entire New Testament. It's all over. And we're going to look at a few different spots that it's in as well. But uh, I thought this passage that Peter gives us is really compelling in the totality of its vision for hospitality. Um, Peter is writing, it's important to know, Peter is writing to an audience. uh, He's writing to the church that's scattered and persecuted. So, I mean, they're being, they're being chased down, locked up in prison, killed. And Peter's writing to encourage them, to give them um, some things to focus on, some things to do. And, and this is where we pick it up in, in chapter four, verse seven. Uh, if you have your phone Bible, because that, I mean, it counts too. It's not maybe as good as a paper Bible, but it's good. Like it's good. Uh, you could follow along in the YouVersion app and all of the slides today are going to be on that, that you can just, you can track with them. So I see some of you sometimes taking pictures of screens. I'm just saying, man, it's, it's on your screen if you want to just get it that way too. So... Just thought I'd let you know. Okay, the verse, shut up. Here we go, the verse. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, let me just pause right there for a minute. For the last couple of years, um, and maybe for the last couple of years, just really for the last 50 years, people are always wanting to know, Christians are always obsessed with end times. When is the end coming? When is Jesus coming back? When, what's going to happen? And we have this kind of bunker down, like sit on maybe a few thousand rounds of ammo and just kind of like put some meals down in a safe somewhere, make sure we're good for, for when this all breaks loose, you know? But, but is, that, is that the writers of the New Testament? Is that their vision for when Jesus is coming back? No, no. The, the word that you could kind of wrap it all up in is this word preparation. Be prepared for the day that Jesus is coming. And we have to live with that kind of urgency of eternity, like, like Taylor talked about, where we just are, are aware of the fact that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come swiftly. He's going to come suddenly. And our role as the church is to be ready for that day, living a life on mission. Hopefully he finds us doing his work, fulfilling the things that he's called us and given us to do. And so if you want some blueprint orders, rather than like, Austin, you should preach a series on Revelation, right? I just would go, I'm, I'm not, we're not doing that yet. Like Kent already did that a few years ago. I don't think I could do it better. So we're just going to leave that as it is. You can reference that if you want to. I'm not doing Revelation to talk about end times. Here's what we can do instead. Be sober-minded, be self-controlled for the sake of our prayers. Be present, be aware, stay sharp, pay attention to what's happening, but always be ready to be used by the Holy Spirit. Be self-controlled understand your agency, understand that you can do some things, but you can't do everything. Focus on what matters most. Make sure you are ready for the day of Christ's return. Because Peter also tells us in his second letter that for the Lord, uh, a day is a a thousand years and a thousand thousand years is as a day. And so, I mean, Jesus has been gone for a couple thousand years plus now. He's ascended back up to be at the right hand of the Father. Uh, But for the Lord's sake, it's been like, what, two days? So we can just stay ready. We don't know when he's coming back, but we stay ready, staying self-controlled, sober-minded, and praying. I, I say this frequently. I, I'm, I'm okay if you're complaining about the state of the world. Just don't complain more than you pray. Don't complain more than you pray. Like just let's keep on praying for the things that are going on. 
He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. At first pass, you read this and it feels like what Peter's trying to say is like, hey, if you just love people well, and if you kind of just sprinkle like love onto different parts of your life, like your Tinkerbell or something, um, then that will cover a multitude of your sins. And that, that's, it kind of feels like the argument, well, like, hey, I've, I've done more good than I've done bad. So I'm sure that I'm gonna be good when, when Jesus comes back. Like, I'm sure I'll be one of his homies and, you know, he'll, well, he'll, and he'll welcome me on into heaven when he gets here, you know? But that's, that's not what this verse is saying at all. That'd be a gross misreading of this text. What this is saying, uh, Peter's using kind of like a turn of phrase here, um, calling back a proverb that, that really paints uh, the imagery in the Hebrew's mind as he wrote it, that, that what he's saying is let, let um, division, let contention, let wrongs be buried deeper than love is. So when he says, don't, don't keep a, or when he says here, um, since love covers a multitude of sins, what he's saying is let love be more readily available at the surface of who you are and let the sin, let the past, let the track record of what somebody's done, let that be buried underneath your love for them. So this is where the Christian, our, our choice has to be, um, I'm choosing to love this person first. I'm choosing to, to love them. I'm choosing to see them as a person, as an image bearer of God. And, and like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the wedding verse, where he says um, all this crazy stuff about love. And he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's more of what Peter is talking about here. As love covers a multitude of sin, it doesn't mean we're forgiven of sins. It means that I'm not gonna pay as much attention to the sinfulness of this person as I am gonna choose love for this person. Does that make sense? So he says, earnestly, Love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now here's our, here's our verse for the morning. Now show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that he has to put without grumbling in there, right? He's like, and don't whine about this. Like it's so easy to whine these days, isn't it? My wife disappeared for 24 hours to go on the women's retreat this last weekend. I just found myself whining the whole time. I just was like, all right, so I, I gotta wake up and take the kids to the soccer game on Saturday. So I, I gotta figure out what we're gonna do for lunch and I gotta cook all this. It's so easy to complain that, I mean, Peter's right. Maybe it's just me. Apparently I'm alone in this. Y'all don't whine or complain ever. It's just easy to grumble, but he says, show hospitality without grumbling. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, a grace gift, something that God has given to you supernaturally by the spirit of God, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it seems what Peter's argument is here is that we seek to show hospitality, stewarding what we can to welcome people in so that the glory of God may be revealed to the people in our day. It's beautiful, isn't it? What a picture of a life on mission as we are being hospitable as Christians and we're welcoming people in so that God may be glorified. So here's, here's what I think we tend to do with hospitality. A few things out of this verse. I think what we tend to do as Christians with hospitality is we love to settle for like this kind of Joanna Gaines version of hospitality. Do you know what I mean by that? Where we kind of like, we, we maybe go after this message. We're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta have more hospitality in our lives. So we're gonna go over to Hobby Lobby, but Hobby Lobby's closed on Sundays, right? Is that true? Yeah, so we, we settle maybe for the like the less saved version of home goods right next door, you know? 
And we go out there, we're like, hey, I'm gonna get this nice little patio set. I'm gonna make sure the ambiance is right. And now we're gonna welcome people in. We'll maybe open like a, a, an okay bottle of wine, but not the nice wine. We save that for when it's just family, you know what I mean? Or, or maybe that's not your style. Maybe it's just water and pop, whatever it is. You just welcome people in. And, and really, I think what we're good at as Christians is curating our own uh, version of what we look like to the world around us. So, I mean, that's all social media really is, right? Is picking and choosing what people see about us. But I think that's spilled over into the way that we host and the way that we bring people into our homes, making sure they only see what we want them to see. And it's kind of all very delicate. No, you know, uh, yeah, we're, we're this clean all the time. I know it's amazing, you know? It's beautiful, our home is this beautiful, no matter what. It's like all the time, it looks great. And I think, I think the church has gotten really good at this version of, of hospitality, where we're willing to welcome people in only as much as we want them to see, you know? And we, and we make sure we mask up and we cover up all the ugly things that we don't like about our house or our home or our, our personality. And we're not as vulnerable or open or real as the world is really looking to see. So this is, this is a thin, ver- maybe, maybe hospitality does include lighting a candle so your house smells a little better. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, not against like, I'm not against like getting a patio set so that you all have somewhere to sit when you're outside. I'm just saying, let's, we, we dare not define hospitality in total that way, right? The other thing about this is, is um, man, the word hospitality is used different in a different way biblically than we use it in English today. And so I, I don't like to do this all the time because I don't want to rob you of like thinking the Bible means uh, is sufficient in English enough. But I think if we like double click on this word hospitality and look at what is actually happening in the original language here, we get a lot more full version of what this means. Some of you are like, are you about to read the Greek? And I, like, I'm about to tell you what the Greek word is. And if that just bores you to death, uh, you know, I've got the captive audience right now. So we're going to do it, you know? Um, so, so, in Greek, there are, there are four words commonly used for love. Maybe if you've been around church for a little while, you've heard this before. Uh, but there's phileo, um, which is kind of this brotherly affection, the way that you would feel about your best friend. Um, there's storge love, um, which is like this compassion or empathy, like I love you and I'm choosing to feel what you're feeling right now. Um, there's agape, right, which is the pinnacle version of agape love is Christ on the cross, uh, giving himself up for the sake of the world. So, so uh, agape love is a self-giving or self-emptying love for the sake of another. Um, and then the other fourth word is eros, and it's like this erotic love or passion, um, what we think of in a relationship, right? Um, hopefully really all four are present in a relationship if you think about it. But um, man, those are the four. It's, it's so much more beautiful than just how we've made a garbage time use out of the English word love. But like, what, what don't we love as Americans in 2022? We love tacos, we love our wives, we love our kids, we love church, and, and we just use it all the time. Hopefully we're not meaning it the same way every time we use it, you know? Like, hopefully I don't, you're try, are you with me this morning? Like, hopefully I'm not loving tacos the same way that I'm loving Katie. Do we get that? <laughs> right, so there's, there's a way to distinguish it in the Greek, and, and hospitality is the combination of the word phileo, so this brotherly love, the way that you would treat a best friend or, or love qualities about your best friend with this word um, xenos, where we would get the word xenophobia, right? I mean, you hear this word, it gets, it's it kind of cast around, especially maybe towards uh, conservatives who want to build up a border wall. And the only people who want to build border walls are xenophobics, you know, according to what the news heads will tell you. And, and xenophobia, what is that? That is the fear of the stranger, it's a phobia of Zeno. Xenos is this idea of a foreigner, someone who's not like me, someone who's an alien or a stranger or far off from what I like to look like, right? So the word Xenos with the word phileo is what like is being smashed together by the New Testament authors to create this English word hospitality. 
the love of, the brotherly affection for the stranger, for the outcast, for the person who's far off, who doesn't look like you. I mean, we use these like caricatures all the time, right? But it's the BLM person uh, having this hospitality for the MAGA wearing Trump supporting person, right? I mean, it's the, it's the far left progressive lesbian, like hanging out and having hospitality and having this affection, this mutual love for the conservative uh, Bible teacher who has like the most rigid sexual ethic. ethic. It's, those, it's these two kind of ideas or worldviews colliding where we have, we have this actual love and care and concern and, and affection. Like, and we actually like the person who looks nothing like us. How different of a word is that compared to just this like Joanna Gaines, like, hey, look at me. I made my house pretty. Come over and see it. You know, and nothing against Joanna Gaines. She's really good at that. You know what I mean? Maybe y'all don't think so. I think y'all are like, check your pulse this morning, please, somebody. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not kidding. I'm serious. But you know, I'm just, that's what it is. Katie's always like, man, if a joke doesn't land, just move on. Like, leave it. You need to just go. And so like, apparently there's just something about me that just can't leave it. So I'm sorry, babe. There we go. So Peter's encouragement is to show hospitality to one another without complaining. Do you see how the without complaining matters a whole lot more? Because you're inviting somebody who looks nothing like you and you're inviting them over and you're, you're hanging out, you're spending time with them, you're, you're showing affection, showing care for somebody who looks nothing like you, right? Jesus, Jesus was the king at this. He dined with the two most common groups we think of when we think of Jesus uh, hanging out and eating with people. It's, it's sinners, right? But it, more specifically, it's tax collectors and prostitutes. And there's so much significance in that. I don't even have time. In, in, if you gave me like three more hours for the sermon, we could probably unpack the significance culturally to eat with somebody who was unclean, like a prostitute or a tax collector. Tax collector, by the way, isn't like an IRS agent today. I mean, they're like, they're like the, the lowest of the low. They're robbing their own people to appease the government, you know? So think about all your, like all your affection for taxes, which is minimal, I'm guessing. Think about somebody who's exploiting the tax system to take more money from you. That like, that's the tax collector, right? And it's the prostitute and Jesus, like he hangs out with these people. He spends time with them. He eats with them. He reclines at their table. Now, like culturally too, there's so much more significance here because um, like the Jewish customs would have never allowed a, a clean priest or someone who was religious or someone who was a part of the religious system to ever even come close to those people because they would defile them. Like it was gross. You can't even affiliate with them. So for Jesus in such an intimate way to say, no, I want to, like Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? He's like, I'm going to come have dinner at your house tonight. It's this beautiful uh, demonstration of hospitality. G uh, so this is all over your New Testament. Like I said, in Hebrews 13, it says this, let brotherly love continue. Let this phileo kind of love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Romans 12, Romans 12, 12, the marks of a true Christian is what this section is called. He says, rejoice in hope. Paul, Paul urges us, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Again, there are your marching orders for your fear for the end times. If you're, if you're afraid this whole thing is going south and sideways in a hurry, uh, you're, you might be right, but here's our response. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. 
in Titus, we see this speaking to Christian leadership. Paul is writing to encourage what kind of marks and what kind of distinctives should a Christian leader have, a church leader have? He says, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. All of those words, if you could just kind of summarize it, it would be selfish. Right? Shouldn't, shouldn't, be, shouldn't, be, um, shouldn't be arrogant, thinking of themselves all the time. Quick-tempered, probably angry because somebody didn't do something their way. Shouldn't be a drunkard, so, so involved with their own self-compulsions. Shouldn't be violent, always like willing to justify oneself or greedy for gain, just being selfish, right? The, the, the Christian leader shouldn't be so self-focused, but instead be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I don't, I don't know how much the church at large pays attention to how many fallen Christian leaders we've watched over the last couple of years, but it's been a lot. A lot of very prominent churches, a lot of very prominent leaders have fallen and have had moral failures of significant weight. And I'm not trying to dismiss it with what I'm about to say, but I've, I've also never seen a Christian leader fall because they lack hospitality which just to me shows me that we value all of the other sins. And I'm saying, not saying we shouldn't value those sins or pay more attention when a Christian leader has an affair or, or has been abusive or domineering in their leadership, but never do we see that a Christian leader is falling out of leadership position because they lack hospitality. That was compelling for me this week. Man, how am I, how is our family, how are we as a church, how are we showing hospitality? How are we showing love to the stranger? Because Jesus says it this way, Luke chapter six. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? This is one of those kind of like cute little clap moments from Jesus, right? I believe it was totally pure and it was totally holy the way he did it, but he's just like, oh, you love people who look like you. Good job, that's amazing. He says, for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back, to get back the same amount. Check this out. But love your enemies. This is the vision for hospitality. Love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Be generous. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. There's the blueprint for us. Man, love your neighbors, love your enemies, love the people who don't look like you, serve them, seek to do good, bring them into your home, take them out to coffee, be generous to them and don't expect anything in return, right? I, I think, man, to go back to Peter, there's so much there where Peter starts to, starts to go in on like the different gifts of the body of Christ. Certainly you've, you've probably heard if you've been around church for a little while, like the body of Christ, no one has all the gifts, but everyone has a gift given by the Holy Spirit. And, and we're members of this body, all formed to one body, all to like work together. We, we can't exist without your gift is how like, is almost how Paul would put it in the book of Romans. And what he's saying, what Peter's echoing here in the verse that we were just reading out of chapter four is he's saying, hey, um, there are some of you who are gonna teach and you're gonna teach with the power of God, like teach according to the scriptures. And here's the reality, like the amount of people who are gonna be teaching or preaching in our congregation right here is not many. Some of y'all, like, we don't want some of y'all to preach on Sundays. Amen? Okay, like, I'll say it. Like, like listen, uh, not many of us are going to lead worship on Sunday morning. Like, that's, a, that's a good thing that I don't lead worship on Sunday morning. Like, people would be leaving quickly, and I wouldn't blame them. 
It says, make a joyful noise, not a good one. You know, that's the, that's the pastor joke right there. But that's, that's me. I'm making a joyful noise. I shouldn't be leading worship. But all of us have these gifts. Listen, um, so like the amount of giftedness that exists to preach or to lead worship or to do other certain little things might be more limited. The gift to demonstrate hospitality is unlimited in this congregation. Like there, there is almost an infinite amount of hospitality that we could show with these few hundred people here. And it, I'm not saying it all has to look like dinner in your house, uh, but man, you, you will have 21 opportunities this next week to show hospitality to somebody. Do you see what I did there? Like three meals a day, seven days a week, 21 opportunities. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like unless some of y'all are doing that intermittent fasting thing, which that's cool, right? You're just like skipping breakfast, picking up at lunch. Man, maybe you grab coffee with somebody. Here, here's what it, I was trying to think, man, what does this look like in Northern Colorado in the day that we're living in? Um, like, I mean, we all have homes. A lot of us have homes. Maybe you have just enough room at your dinner table to, to sit somebody else down at your dinner table with you. Um, I, I said this first service, I think it was awesome to have a really full church last weekend, but I wonder if the greater victory in the kingdom of God would be really full tables consistently in our homes. And how many little doorways and portals into the kingdom would we be creating by just creating good, honest fellowship at a table? where questions were safe to ask, where disagreements were safe to be had, and we could just see each other, know each other, love each other, right? Man, maybe, maybe um, I, was thinking of, I was thinking of some friends who, man, they have, they have a kid and that kid is, is really good, really close friends with someone who's trans. Maybe someone in your life right now, you're not too thrilled about who your kids are hanging out with at school. Maybe they're caught up with people or are in themselves the LGBTQ community. Maybe they're gay, maybe their friends are gay. And you're just like on edge. And I listen, I think that's something that you should be concerned about. That's something you should be paying attention to as a parent. But what if your response, rather than just saying, don't hang out with them, don't hang out with them, don't hang out with them, was why don't we have them over for dinner? Hey, why don't, why don't you just bring them to our house and we could eat together and we could talk. Listen, I, like, I'm not saying you have to just agree and you have to coddle and you have to embrace every other little idea that's out there. But what would it look like if we just welcomed the stranger into our homes? And I don't know who that is for you. I don't know if that's your crazy progressive neighbor I don't know if that's the, your crazy Republican neighbor. You know what I mean? I don't know who the different person is in your life. The point of the New Testament though, is to say God has made space for me at his table. So I'm gonna make space at my table for somebody who's far from him and who doesn't look like me. And that is the invitation that we have. I, I love this quote from Alan Hirsch. It's just too good not to say. I found it when I was like doing some research for this sermon. He says, if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. Praise God, somebody, right? <laughs> like if I'm going into the kingdom of God and I can do so by eating, like sign me up. I am in, I'm interested. Um, as I was reading this, I, I've, uh, you kind of start looking up hospitality and I was looking at like resources or things on hospitality. And one book uh, I kept getting point to is this book um, called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. And I don't know if you've read it, but I, I picked it up Tuesday and just ate up the whole thing. Like I, I bought an audio book. I just listened to it all in a couple days. Couldn't put it down. Couldn't turn it off. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, yeah, some of you get that on the way home. It's okay. Um, I just was so like immersed in her 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 thought process toward this, towards this. Um, and let me just, let me pause because I'm going to read a little snippet of her testimony that she shared on Christianity Today. Um, but I just want to say, because I, I know there are several people in our congregation, um, several people in this room right now, and you, you have loved ones, you have friends, you have family who are in the LGBT community, and, and you, just, you just don't know what to do. And I would, I could not more highly recommend you pick up a copy of this book, 
the gospel comes with the house key by Rosaria Butterfield, and you pick up a copy of A People to Be Loved by Preston Sprinkle. Both of those books will help you embrace how do I, how do I not give into this kind of acceptance mentality that the world is steeped in and just accept them for who they are and never want to change anything about them. But how do I just love them as an image bearer of God? How do I create space for their questions, space for their thing in a way that we can hopefully invite the gospel because the gospel is what's ultimately going to bring about the transformation that they so desperately need and I so desperately need. So both of those books would be great resources for you to pick up. But Rosaria Butterfield, she has this crazy story. In the 90s, she's this radical left-wing lesbian uh, college professor. So like she, she is the loudest, proudest feminist that you know, like amplified up towards 10. And she's writing books and she's teaching classes on how to destroy her version of what she calls the unholy trinity, which she says is Jesus, the Republicans, and the patriarchy, <laughs> right? And she's just, she's just hell-bent on destroying them, hell-bent on, on bending culture to just agree with her, right? And she, uh, so what she does is she, in doing some of her research and some of her um, uh, writing some of her opinion pieces, she publishes this newspaper article in 1997, I think it was, uh, really critiquing and attacking the Promise Keeper movement of the 90s. And, and I'll read it in just a sec, but she said, I, I created a filing system for all the responses that I was getting from this uh, piece that I wrote in the newspaper. One was the trash can because there was so much hate mail filing in. And the other was like a, a little box that I wanted to keep so I could read it from time to time. All right. And, and then she, what happens is she gets this letter um, that's just from a pastor and it doesn't sound like the hate mail. It doesn't sound like the fan club letter, but it's just this pastor going, hey, I'd really like to have dinner with you. I'd really like to have dinner with you. Would you, would you and your partner come over for dinner sometime? And I'll, I'll tell you how the story goes, but let me, let me read her testimony because I think it's powerful. Um, she writes this. This is on Christianity Today. Christianity Today, you can look it up. I've edited some of it out just for the sake of time. Um, but you can look up the full story there. She says, stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. Now, I don't agree with her on the first part, but I've seen some weird paintings of Jesus that I, I don't think actually depict him. So I think she's got a point there in the second half. Um, she says, as a professor of English and women's studies on the track to becoming a tenured radical, I cared about morality and justice and compassion. Fervent for the worldviews of Freud, Marx, and Darwin, I strove to stand with the disempowered. After my tenure book was published, I used my post to advance the understandable allegiances of a leftist lesbian professor. AIDS activism, children's health and literacy, golden retriever rescue, so that is a surprising list or thing to make the list, and uh, our Unitarian Universalist church, just to name a few. She says the LGBTQ community values hospitality and applies it with skill, sacrifice, and integrity. I'm going to read this one more time because this is absolutely true. The LGBTQ community values hospitality and they apply it with skill, sacrifice, and integrity. I think she has this point here because the church in so many ways has labeled this sin as the gross sin and has created a lot of separation from it. And, and she, she said, no, you want to know why that movement is gaining so much steam? Is because they've embraced uh, bringing in people and making them feel welcomed and belonging. She says, I began researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against queers like me. To do this, I would need to read the one book that had, in my estimation, gotten so many people off track, the Bible. 
While on the lookout for some Bible scholar to aid me in my research, I launched my first attack on the unholy trinity of Jesus, Republican politics, and the patriarchy in the form of an article in the local newspaper about promise keepers. The year was 1997. The article generated many rejoinders, so many that I kept a Xerox box on each side of my desk, one for hate mail and one for fan mail. But one letter I received defied my filing system. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken Smith was the pastor's name. He encouraged me to explore the kind of questions that I admire. How do you arrive at your interpretation? How do you know that you're right? Do you believe in God? I didn't know how to respond, and so I threw it away. Later, she tells that she picked that up out of the trash because she couldn't shake it out of her mind. She says, within the letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, a heathen. Listen to that. For two years, Ken initiated bringing the church to me, a heathen. This is someone who is never going to go into church on a Sunday morning but she was willing to come over and sit at his table. Oh, I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay pride marches. That Christians who mocked me on gay pride day, they were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell. That was clear as blue sky. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock, he engaged. So when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this will be good for my research. This is how she kind of closes out the, the article. She says, I was a broken mess and I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. See, because here's what happened over two years. Uh, this guy just made a space for her questions. This pastor, he just brought her in. It, it says pretty clearly, like he, he didn't invite, invite her. He didn't invite her to church all the time. He just, he just made sure that she knew that he loved her, that he didn't agree with her lifestyle and that, he, that she always had a safe place to process different things that were going on in her life. So he just creates this space over two years and slowly she gives her life to the Lord. She surrenders her life to Christ. And now today, I mean, she's a, she's a Christian author. She's a Christian teacher. She goes around and she, she inspires people um, to, to embrace radically ordinary hospitality. This is how, this is her quote. She says, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors, they seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Here's the crazy thing. Like she's so um, renowned now. She's done all these amazing things for the name of God. But I think one of the most impressive things about this woman is that she daily opens up her home to the stranger. She's constantly got this stream of foster kids coming in and out of her house. She's constantly just welcoming her neighbors, people that hate her, old people that she knew from the, from the queer community. She's just always welcoming them in, making sure it's clear. Hey, I don't agree with you. I don't think you're living a life that, that leads you to God's vision of life but she just consistently makes a space for them to feel like they're welcomed. I think her tagline is making sure strangers can be like friends and friends can be like family. Just honestly welcoming them in. And so, I, you know, I don't know how this looks perfectly for your life. I don't know what that means. I, I, I'm not saying that you just have to all of a sudden go out and foster somebody. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit will prompt you to do, honestly. Maybe you're gonna adopt. Maybe you're gonna just welcome your neighbor into your home for dinner sometime this week. Maybe you as kind of the big wig executive at your company, maybe you're gonna actually spend time to get to know the janitor story. Maybe you're gonna have one of your kids' friends over for dinner that you just can't stand. That's okay. Sometimes our friends have kids, like they're friends that we can't stand. You know what I mean? I'll be honest about that. But maybe we just invite them over for dinner, share a meal, ask some questions, love them, right? The gospel comes with the house key. I love it. Um, the reason this is possible, we're gonna take communion now. The reason this is possible is because Christ has demonstrated hospitality towards us first, right? And so there's no more beautiful way to end this service today than just taking and receiving communion because uh, we, we are gonna be sitting at and feasting at a table in which we did not belong. 
We were strangers, foreigners, aliens to God, not looking anything like him, not thinking like him. And what did he do? He welcomed us in. He said, no, I've, I have spilled my blood. I have broken my body so that you might come and sit at the King's table, right? I mean, the gospel is this invitation from Christ, the greatest demonstration of hospitality for us to come and to leave our old life behind and put on the righteousness that he has for us at this table. And so here's what I wanna do for communion today. Um, I want all of you as your heart is ready to come and to grab the elements and then just sit and pause and linger in your chair for just a moment. And, and the worst thing that you could do is say, man, I really just need to be uh, more like this lady. I really need to have more hospitality in my life. I think the, that's one of the worst things you could do is just kind of like have this moral conviction and do something out of morality. The best thing that you can do this moment right now is just ponder how good God's been to you. And then lovingly just ask the question by the Holy Spirit, God, is there anywhere that you want me to demonstrate your love this next week? 21 opportunities coming up. How are we gonna use them? How are we gonna use them? So um, I would like to invite everyone to come grab the elements and you're gonna take communion on your own. We're not gonna take it together. I'll come up and dismiss when we're done. We have open communion here at Good Shepherd. So maybe you're just a visitor coming back from Easter. Um, I would still invite you to come and enjoy this sacrament with us today. Um, but naturally what we're doing is we are recognizing Christ's sacrifice for us. And so if you're not a believer, if you're not at that spot yet, um, that's okay and I'm glad you're here, but this moment's not for you because what we're doing is we're, we're encountering a living God at this table this morning. And so as your heart is ready, church, come, grab the elements. There's gluten-free up here, uh, down here, in the back, in the balcony. Grab them, then go ahead, and sit. go ahead and have a seat and pray. Jesus, we just thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Uh, that because of your triumph over death and sin, we can have relationship with you and we can come in here and celebrate every Sunday like it's Resurrection Sunday. We just want to continue to abide, remain in you. Would you keep us um, stirred up and reminded of your love for us, God? And would we pursue you above all else, pursue your kingdom and your goodness, your righteousness. I pray that we would operate out of the identity that you've given us, loved son, loved daughter, that we'd come back to that time and time again, even in our failures, would we just continue to run towards you, God. We love you so much. We're so grateful for this moment to get to remember and, and sit in um, your love for us. Church, would you stand? If you're even comfortable with it, would you kind of just posture yourself in a way to receive this morning? Because we just want to pray, God, we want to be used by you. We wanna do what you want us to do. And so God, this week, I pray that uh, maybe above anything else, would we just be open to whatever your Holy Spirit has for us? A conversation with a coworker, dinner with a neighbor, coffee with a friend. God, I just ask that you would continually just um, stir us up to be, to be mindful of what you're doing around us. Would we be sober-minded, attentive, head clear, focused on the things that you're doing around us? Would we be paying attention to how you want to use us in your kingdom? I pray that even as we step out of this church this week, that we, would be, that we would be focused on mission for you, eager to bring in the stranger and to show them your love, God. Eager to bring in the person that looks nothing like us and that we disagree with on maybe so many levels, but we're eager to show them love. God, we love you so much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.